This is episode 150 of the Two Birth and Beyond podcast. We're so excited to have you with us on this episode of To Birth and Beyond. I'm Jesse Mundell, mom, kinesiologist, and fitness coach to pregnant and current moms. And I'm Anita Lambert, mom, pelvic health and orthopedic physiotherapist with a focus on women's health. On the show, we provide information and education on fitness, the pelvic floor, fertility, pregnancy, birth, postpartum, and women's health. We offer a brave space to have candid and vulnerable conversations on the struggles and joys of motherhood including all aspects of our physical, mental, and emotional health. While you're listening in, please remember that the information on the show is not meant to diagnose or treat any medical conditions. Please speak with your medical provider for all things related to your healthcare. We're so excited to have you. Let's dive into today's show. Hey, it's Anita here. Before we jump into today's episode, I wanted to share with you, for being a podcast listener, you're getting early access to my Cyber Monday 20% off code to access my Bump to Birth online course, which guides you step-by-step to prepare you, your pelvic floor and core for birth. If you're listening to this in real time, the code Bump to Birth CM20 will be available for you to use until 8 p.m. Eastern Standard Time, Monday, November 30th, 2020. And you can roll at bumptobirthcourse.com. Many expecting moms, as well as health, fitness, and birth professionals have been through my course since it opened in January 2020, and it'll continue to be open for enrollment. You'll want to tune in to today's episode, where I'll walk you through the five steps in my Bump to Birth course method to have a more comfortable and active pregnancy, address common pregnancy pelvic floor symptoms, as well as aches and pains, plus prepare you, your mind, body, including your pelvic floor for birth, and get a head start on your postpartum recovery. Hey, everyone. Welcome back to another episode of Two Birth and Beyond. It's Jesse Mundell. And Anita Lambert. And today we're going to be going through five steps to help prepare you, your pelvic floor, and core for birth, which also gives you a head start on your postpartum recovery. And so, you know, having worked with hundreds of prenatal clients over the years in my physio practice, I've, I was asked to, you know, could I create something more for the general public kind of using the method I use one-on-one in the clinic, but making it general so that anyone who's pregnant around the world could access it. So that's really why I created my bump to birth course. And then so also within the course, I do um, have a bonus private members only Facebook group. So then you can ask general questions as you're going through the program, you know, whether pregnancy, leading up to birth, but also postpartum. And then I also do live Q&A sessions um, within the group as well, so that you can get general questions answered. And I often will speak about a specific topic in each Q&A session. If you've been listening to the podcast for a bit, this launched uh, this past January uh, 2020, um, and we've talked about it um, a number of times on the podcast, but Jess and I were thinking this would be a great episode to kind of really dive into the key five steps um, to really help you feel more prepared. And so, you know, these steps are really great, you know, if you're doing them on your own um, and using online education, like in my course, um, but it can also really complement 
if you're also seeing a pelvic health physiotherapist or you're also seeing a fitness coach like Jess. Uh, I've actually had a number of of Jesse's to birth and beyond clients actually go through the bump to birth course. So it's, you know, it's really been a great compliment um, to, uh, you know, to both sides of that. Um, what have you found Jess in terms of working with your clients who are pregnant kind of preparing for birth? Yeah, it has been so cool to watch them go through your course over the last almost year and the people who have gone through bump to birth have been people who are pregnant for the first time going into their first birth but then also people who were headed into their third births and it's been so interesting to hear about their experience towards the end of pregnancy, how they are experiencing their body preparing for labor and birth after going through the course versus what they might have done before. And for me, I will say as a fitness coach, it is so nice to be able to have this and to know you created it because this isn't my wheelhouse. And I think that that is also important for people like me who work in fitness to hear and to be able to say, because I think that we see a lot of this trying to happen in the fitness industry. We're trying to give our clients all these ideas and exercises and the education around preparing for birth. But quite honestly, this isn't within my scope of practice. And to be able to have your lead and trust your guidance on it has been so reassuring for me as the practitioner, but then for my clients too. Awesome. That's so great to hear. And that's the thing is like there there are so many, so much information, I should say, online, right? It can be hard to know what to follow. Um, so we're hoping this will give you some guidance. And again, if you are seeing a pelvic physio, um, you know, some of this they might cover, it really depends um, also on their background. So as a pelvic health physio, like my focus is pregnancy, birth prep and postpartum. I've actually done two different um, doula trainings and one was specifically for physios. And now I actually assist that course in Canada. So while every pelvic physio should be able to give you guidance regarding your pelvic floor and being able to give you some guidance preparing that for birth, you may find some other things in this episode might be new. Um, and then you can, um, you know, bridge that together with what maybe you've already learned about the pelvic floor, or maybe this is the first time you're hearing about it. And it's really going to set you up to being ahead of things when it comes to your pregnancy and your birth. So why don't we dive into step number one? And this is about understanding your pelvic floor and core in pregnancy. So, you know, really getting an idea about the anatomy of your pelvic floor and core. We've done episodes on this um, previously, but it's, you know, we can't emphasize it enough that, you know, so many people get told do Kegels, and I get this all the time with my clients. And usually with my initial clients, this is the one of the first things I'll ask. I'll say, you know, have you been told to do Kegels in your pregnancy or postpartum? And typically people say, yeah, but like I, I haven't done them. I'll be totally honest. I haven't done them or I kind of did them, but I had no idea what I was doing. So if this is how you feel, it's totally common. Um, so really getting to know the anatomy of your pelvic floor, how it works, you know, what it actually does, how it works with your core, but then also your entire body 
is so, so key. And when we get to talking about labor and birth itself, this is something I find my clients, my physio clients, but also those who've gone through a bump to birth course. This is what makes such a huge difference is having this awareness because it makes a difference in labor and makes a difference with pushing. So how do, how do you find that Jess, in terms of your, your pregnant clients in the two birth and beyond podcast, do you find that they come into your program with much awareness of the pelvic floor? I think what is most common is that the people who I work with in fitness coaching, they might have some idea of what the core is, but likely are thinking of the core as only the abdominal muscles. And then we do some education around how the core is much more than just the front of your abdomen. And then I think a lot of people have heard of the pelvic floor before, but they don't know exactly what that is or where that is on their body. They are probably aware of the pelvic floor in thinking about and in hearing stories about or experiencing their body leaking or incontinence. And so I think a lot of people, when they think of the pelvic floor, they just think about peeing. And they don't know what else the pelvic floor does or where those muscles start and where they attach to and all of the other different things that the pelvic floor muscles and then the whole structure of the pelvic floor, what that is all about and why that will be important to know about throughout their pregnancy and preparing for birth and then postpartum too. So I think that, yeah, it there's some education to be had around that. Um, Because most people, like you said, when we think about the pelvic floor, or we've asked for education about it, it's been in the realm of talking about Kegels only. Exactly. Yeah, no, that's, I'm so glad that um, with your program that you, you're able to offer so much education, especially those going into the fitness or coming into your program just with the purpose of the fitness side, like they learn so much more and get so much more awareness of their body, which in pregnancy or postpartum is so key. And so other things around understanding your pelvic floor and current pregnancy is, you know, changes your body's going to go through in pregnancy. So things even like shifting, like your center of gravity is going to feel a bit different. A lot of people feel like their balance is more challenging with things. But if you think about as pregnancy goes on, how those changes are happening, you know, with your belly and your chest growing um, in the front, that oftentimes our weight starts to shift back. So that can even change just how you move and how you experience day-to-day activities. Um, You know, also learning to about relaxing. So we won't go into detail in this episode, but a number of things I find in pregnancy get blamed on relaxing. And really when you dive into the research, especially things around pain or pelvic girdle pain, really relaxing isn't, you know, levels of or high levels of relaxant aren't to blame for the pain that we experience in pregnancy. So even being educated on some things that you might be hearing about that you might think is contributing to perhaps symptoms you're experiencing, but it's actually not, Um, you know, learning about posture changes and things that you can do, as I mentioned, as your body is changing to help you stay more comfortable and keep you active. Um, breathing strategies, and even just learning about the pelvic floor symptoms. I just mentioned about, you know, leaking pee, I think is probably one of the most common symptoms people hear about. Um, But then 
you know, what could you do about that? Like, are there things that could actually help that? Or um, hearing about pelvic organ prolapse, which a lot of people haven't necessarily heard about. So that's where your bladder, uterus or rectum might start to lower um, in towards or within the vaginal canal. Um, diastasis, so that traditionally, you know, abdominal separation, which again is a whole other podcast. We've done a podcast on it, and I'm sure we'll be doing more. Um, pelvic girdle pain, so that's pain around pubic symphysis, hip, SI, tailbone, any of those areas. So, you know, being educated on why you might experience those, what can actually help. And Jess and I have talked about it a lot. You know, some people, if you're experiencing these symptoms, you might be told just to stop doing what you're doing in terms of exercise. Whereas I look at it more and Jess is the same of like, rather than stopping exercise, what can we do to modify what you're doing so you can keep doing what you enjoy um, throughout pregnancy? So those are really some key things, you know, to be aware of. And that all comes down to, you know, understanding your public pregnancy just can give you so much um, information and feel a little bit more empowered and in control of what's actually happening and what you can do to change things. And things like strategies like um, sitting, standing, walking, turning in bed or other movements um, can make such a big difference. And then, you know, if you're able to see a pelvic health physio, that can help with your understanding of your individual pelvic floor and core. Um, and also working with a fitness pro who is well-educated in this area too. So that is step number one, understanding your pelvic floor and core in pregnancy. It just can really make such a difference in your pregnancy and then as you prepare for birth. And so that leads us into step number two. And this is, you know, learning to connect to your pelvic floor and core in pregnancy and bringing these strategies into various types of exercise and this is beyond traditional Kegels, which is what you might be thinking of when you hear the pelvic floor. So just this idea of just like squeezing any muscles you can find at the bottom of your pelvis or the muscles to stop pee. And there's just so, so much more that you can learn about this, about your body in, regard, in regards to the pelvic floor. And that can actually really help um, going into birth. And so I'm curious just with, um, with your clients as well. Like, how do you find in terms of the pelvic floor, like initially, do people ask, like, should they just bring in Kegels into all the exercises that you prescribe? Or is that kind of brought up very much in pregnancy? Mm -hmm. Yeah, I think that that's a super common line of thinking is they've been told to do Kegels or they've read to do Kegels. And then the assumption is that we should just be doing all the Kegels all the time. And that is included within our workouts and our strength training. So we have a lot of conversations about what connecting to your pelvic floor and your core even means and how it is, as you've already mentioned, how it's not just about this gaining tension and this squeezing and tightening and how there is more more aspects to that including relaxation but also further to that is do we need to be connecting to the pelvic floor in a way of gripping tightening in the exercises that we're doing is that something that's going to be beneficial or can we learn how to work with the body position, the breath, inhales, exhales, literally the load that we're using in the exercise itself 
to connect to the pelvic floor and core that way. Yeah, I love that. And I think it just helps so many people know, because what's interesting is some people come to me or just with, you know, let's say leaking, so leaking pee with exercising. So let's say with jumping or even with strength training. And so what can often help actually alleviate these symptoms is decreasing that gripping Jess was talking about, or even having less focus on their pelvic floor, um, or learning to just have a different awareness and using your breath, which is so, so key. And that's what you'll learn with when you're learning about your pelvic floor and core, you're going to start learning about the breath day one. Um, and it just, it goes right into what Jess was talking about is it's not only just about squeezing and gripping these muscles. Sometimes it's actually about letting go, um, which is actually really key for learning for birth. And then there's, there are some misconceptions around, um, pelvic floor muscle training or, you know, bringing your pelvic floor into exercise. And that is some people get told having a strong pelvic floor is actually bad for birth. Um, and I think sometimes this gets said as a misunderstanding of it actually shouldn't be talked about as a strong pelvic floor because a strong pelvic floor is not a bad thing. There is research to show, you know, it can help in pregnancy or postpartum with things like decreasing incontinence. Um, but some people get told don't have a strong pelvic floor because it might increase your risk of interventions during birth. So like forceps or vacuum or tearing or episiotomy. But there is some research to actually show it does not contribute. At least the, there was a, a study done for first time, um, people giving birth, and it didn't contribute to intervention. So that's something that I always like to clear up. Um, and also, too, there is some research looking at um, going into birth, having done pelvic floor muscle training, so having a strong pelvic floor, and that it could actually decrease the length of your first and second stage. So that's around laboring and pushing, could actually decrease the length. And again, that was more for first time um, people giving birth. And it's not fully understood why that may happen. But when we really dive into, you know, around pelvic floor muscle training and the pelvic floor, that potentially that could be due to having adequate muscle tone that we're looking for. So the pelvic floor not being super tense or really lax. So kind of that tone in between, potentially that might help the baby descend. Um, and then also that gradual stretching as the baby is born. So potentially that might have to do with it. Um, so it's just that idea. I like to bust the myth, like a strong pelvic floor is not a bad thing, but a strong pelvic floor is not the same as a pelvic, if your pelvic floor is really tense or tight. Um, and we won't dive too, too deep into that in this episode. But another thing too is, you know, tense, a tense pelvic floor or tension in your pelvic floor sometimes gets, um, we call it like pathologized or that we just get really focused on those muscles and we got to release these muscles and trigger points and relax the muscles. But we actually have to dive deeper and be like, why are the muscles tense? Because really tension in the pelvic floor is often a reaction to something else. Um, and often it's to do with stress in our environment, um, whether it's conscious or unconscious or feeling threatened or feeling like our brain or our body needs to protect us. And often how it will protect us, the first set of muscles that typically comes on is our pelvic floor. So it's one of those things where strong pelvic floor, tension pelvic floor are not the same, but then also 
if someone has tension in their pelvic floor, we need to dive deeper into why you might be experiencing that. So that's again, um, in terms of in the course I go through that, but also as a pelvic physio, if you're working with one, they should also be going through this with you. And where that goes into preparing for birth is learning how to release and relax the pelvic floor is really, really key for labor, but also for pushing. Um, and this is something that's come up with a lot of people who've done my course. Um, and especially what's interesting is the people who have given birth before and then, and some of these have been in your um, two pregnancy and beyond, Jess, and then they gave birth for the second or third time after this course. And they said they had a whole different understanding of those muscles and the control they could actually have. Um, especially with pushing, which is just really interesting. And again, it's hard to understand until you get to know these muscles, um, but it just can make such a difference. And you can even think of the idea, you, you want to lengthen the pelvic floor to help open the door for baby to come out for a vaginal birth. Um, so knowing how to connect to them, use your breath on how to relax these muscles, just can really help um, a lot of times with your experience during labor and during birth, but then also postpartum as well. Um, and I know Jess, you've uh, brought this up before on the podcast that that's something that you've um, over time have worked on as well as more, you tend to carry tension in terms of the pelvic floor. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And it's so interesting. I've been thinking about this a lot more recently because I, got a spin bike and I've been doing some of the Peloton classes which is we know like so so popular right now in the fitness space and it's been so fun and I cannot even tell you the number of times that I have heard the instructors say engage your core engage your core during these cycling classes and I always want to be like um but why <laughs> <laughs> what does that mean? And I'm just thinking of all these moms and these pregnant and postpartum people that are just, you know, probably yeah. gripping and sucking their bellies. And maybe we don't need to do that so much. Yeah. Oh, I love that, Jess. I wish there was a way with the Peloton that you could like talk back. Like I wish there yes. was a way on the bike that you could, <laughs> yeah, that you could actually talk back to the instructor. And I get it too. I see it all the time. I haven't done spins since, um, uh, before, um, COVID, but, um, I know it does tend to come up a lot and I have the same question as you is kind of why we, it's going to come on as much as it needs for being on the bike. And even if you're on a bike that, um, there are spin bikes that actually do almost turn in a way, like they're still stationary, but they move your core will do what it needs to do to keep you on the bike. You yes. don't actually need to add to that but again it's not and I think we always want to mention too like it's not always a bad thing to add on extra engagement if that feels good for you um but it's just I think a lot of times how it's talked about is like you need to engage the entire time for whatever reason and you just you don't if anything I tell my clients I'm like when you go to spin please breathe like that's mm -hmm. going to be the biggest thing is like just focus on your breath. That actually will probably help your pelvic floor more if you are having symptoms than thinking of gripping everything. Yes, totally. And I think that this is what we see in terms of prenatal exercise so often too, is this emphasis on 
like really either using the core and the abdominals and the pelvic floor a lot or we also have heard this messaging of like don't feel your abdominals working you don't want to feel any work through your abs and that is also not what we want either it's just this nuance in the gray area of learning how to use the core and the pelvic floor and tension and load in ways that you actually need to when you need to. Yes, I love that. And that's the thing that's so important for you to understand in pregnancy. Um, There's so many lists um, like of what to do or what not to do in terms of exercise. And again, like how I talk about how Jess talks about is like, I don't with whether it's my one-on-one clients or in my bump to birth course, I am not going to tell you, you need to do this or that. I'm going to teach you the tools for you to understand what's best for you and your body so that you're the most comfortable. You can stay moving and active. You can do exercise you love and not just, you know, stop doing certain things because you're pregnant and do other things because you're pregnant, even though it's not what you want to be doing. Um, So I love that you brought that up, Jess. And I just think it's really important for people to know that, There's so many options for movement um, and it is really important um, to, you know, to stay mobile. It often feels better. Maybe not if you're experiencing a lot of nausea and, um, you know, fatigue and that, but Jess and I did a recent podcast about it of, you know, you mentioned Jess, like you actually didn't feel great, you know, especially in Theo's pregnancy. However, um, movement and exercise actually made you feel better. Mm-hmm. Yeah. yeah. Through both pregnancies, I was nauseous the whole time, day to night, no morning sickness, really just all day sickness, not mm-hmm. first trimester, all three trimesters. But even through that movement and exercise and strength training and some walking and some like rolling around type mobility work on the floor it so often felt like the one distraction in my day where I didn't feel so crappy. Yeah. And I think that's a great way to, uh, to finish up step number two about um, learning to connect to your pelvic floor and core and pregnancy and bring it into exercise is, you know, choosing what you love to do in terms of movement. But Jess and I always talk about like mobility and release work can make such a big difference. So whether it is some prenatal yoga or bringing in different exercises, some may still look like prenatal yoga, even though you're technically not doing a class um, and learning how to release and relax your pelvic floor with that can make such a difference in the comfort in your pregnancy. So it may help with symptoms, um, but also going into our next step in terms of preparing uh, your body for birth. So going into step number three, This is about strategies to prepare you, your mind and body, including your pelvic floor for labor. And it is really key to do both, not just the physical prep. Um, Because when you're in labor, it's not, you know, it's not just about how strong you are physically or how high your pain tolerance is. I do hear this a lot. Um, I find what seems to be the most significant is how much you can let go. Um, I don't really like using the word relax because I know that's hard kind of to picture that with labor, but really it is like letting go, relaxation, 
um, working with your body, working with the contractions or surges, you know, think of working with your baby versus trying to fight the contractions because that often doesn't uh, bear very well in terms of um, progress. So, and it's not so much how strong physically you are, like how much can you let go? So, you know, practicing the physical relaxation um, strategies, but also then preparing your mind. So, you know, understanding the fear, tension, pain cycle. So how that works together can make a big difference with your contractions. Um, finding relaxation strategies that you think will work for you for labor. And you won't know this unless you actually look into it. So I go through this with clients and in the course, you know, going through your different senses and realizing what you think may work for you. So then you can make a bit of a list, go through it with your partner, whoever's going to support you during labor, go through it with your care provider to make sure these options are possible in the environment you're going to be in or, you know, anything to know ahead of time. So for example, like the, if we go through the sense of touch, so for some people, even the touch like water and even the research shows can actually be really helpful for pain management. So finding out, is there a tub or a shower available where you're um, planning to give birth? You know, what do you have available at home? If you're planning to have a home birth, would you want to rent a birth tub or use your tub or your shower? Um, or another way in terms of sense of touch is your partner learning something like the double hip squeeze or sacral pressure. So this kind of firm pressure around the pelvis during a contraction, which may actually really help with coping through a contraction and therefore help you relax during labor. Um, so going through all these different strategies can actually really help. Um, and then kind of the mind part that can go with that is I find whether it's music or if you like meditations or affirmations, or if you like silence, I'll tell clients, bring earplugs with you because if you're planning to give birth in a hospital, you're really not going to know what it's going to sound like. It can actually be quite loud with beeping and you may have other people in your room or in the room next door. Um, so finding ways like what is going to work for you mentally to help you get in the zone. Um, so having those different options, having them ready ahead of time, have your partner know which ones you want. I even tell clients like if especially you're deeper into active labor, you may not actually like putting the password into your phone and scrolling through your phone to find their meditation or your playlist may not really be something you're up for or mentally actually be in that place. But if your partner can notice that you're tensing up, they actually might be like, okay, I'm going to get out their phone and get this all set up and get the headphones and just put their headphones in and press play. So, you know, things like this, which seem a little nuanced actually can make a huge difference. Um, in you know a strategy mentally and physically um during your labor and also you know learning different labor positions and learning about the birth ball um and even the peanut ball which if you've heard the podcast or follow me on social media you know i'm a huge fan of the peanut ball and i love that the hospital and the midwife um the midwife uh collective here they actually do have a birthing suite and they have a peanut ball as well um, it just is fantastic for so many different reasons. We'll do a separate podcast on it. Um, but things like that are just really, really key. So with just with, you know, going into your first labor, um, were some of these things, you know, things that you had thought about as well ahead of time? Yeah. And 
let me just say these tips are gold, truly such good information. So going into my first birth, yes, these were definitely things that I thought about and I had practiced for and prepared for. But looking back on that labor, what I can really notice now is that that surrendering that you're talking about in terms of like going inwards into your body, I think that I was fighting myself in some ways, even though I was telling myself to relax and be easy and calm and have these mantras. But I still think in some ways that potentially I I hadn't fully surrendered to it. I wasn't able to do so for um, a variety of reasons. And uh, yeah, I just think that that is such a key piece of advice for people. And what I also will say is that for my clients and in the fitness industry, I think we still hear so much of uh, fit for birth and train for birth. And it's going to be the most intense physical event of your life. And so we need to train for it. And for most people that goes to thinking of being super fit and very strong. And uh, like you're saying, maybe we can adjust the mindset around prenatal exercise first, but then also adjusting the way we think about preparing for birth to include all that you're saying here. Yeah. Yeah, no, I love that. And I agree. It's still, it's still out there a lot about fit pregnancy and even in some prenatal fitness programs, which is not in your program, which I love is this (laughs) idea of creating this like intensity as if it's like going through a contraction and you know how much can you sustain the you know difficulty or the quote-unquote pain within the movement but I think again it could be more about you know how much can you let go into something because to be honest that is harder to do is to be able especially if you come from a background um of especially a very athletic background, it, it's very much a mental game um, of how much you can let go into something versus trying to muscle through something. So just something to keep in mind. And I think the other side too is I find to really be able to, I love that you use the word surrender, is if you can be educated on the different options, and we'll talk a bit more about in step four, like the different ways birth might go, uh, knowing how to advocate for yourself, how to ask questions so that you can gain information. It, I find often allows you to surrender that if you're, you're not quite sure of what's happening or what's going to happen or what your options are, A, you don't really have options if you don't know your options. Um, and B, I find it's actually hard to let go because your body is still kind of clinging on that it, it doesn't really trust the process because you're not actually aware of all the different ways it can go. So I thought I would put that out there because I do find I, I saw it in myself in my births um, that it made such a difference that it allowed me to let go. Um, but I even I see it in clients and those um, who've gone through bump to birth that just having that education and awareness can almost allow you to really let go um, into it. So 
yeah, learning about, you know, labor positions, again, those options that you may not know about, if all you've seen is kind of in the movies, um, or on TV, a bit of laboring or even pushing, you may not really know all of the options, including with an epidural. I think it's really important because it was important to me with this course and with my clients, I really want to educate on all of the options. Um, you may be going to birth being like, nope, not getting epidural. Other people are going into birth being like, sign me up as soon as I walk in. In both scenarios or anywhere in between, you really need to know options of with an epidural without because you really don't know if that's going to be a part of your um, experience. And even if you're like, sign me up, there is likely going to be labor that you're going to go through before you get your epidural that you're really going to want these options in place to know how to cope through until you get your epidural. Um, so just again, everyone's gonna have different preferences, but really understanding all of these can actually support you in any type of birth you're thinking of. Um, and also learning about uh, with preparing your body for labor is perineal massage. Um, there is research and there was kind of newer research this year about how perineal massage in pregnancy um, just research kind of supporting how it could help in terms of decreased risk of severe tearing, um, episiotomies, even postpartum, so anal incontinence postpartum, um, and perineal pain postpartum. So there can be benefits to perineal massage. But again, how I teach clients and in the course, I don't like to tell people you have to do something. I like to let you know what the possible pros are give you options, and then let you decide if it's actually what you want to do. Um, I do find it can be helpful whether you do it or your partner does it for you. Um, it's going to give you more, again, awareness of your pelvic floor, help you learn how to relax your pelvic floor, especially when it comes to crowning um, just before baby comes out. It can really help you just tune in and know how to relax these muscles um, if you feel like doing this would be would be helpful for you. A um, couple other things around preparing your body is even being educated about different baby positions. Um, again, we won't dive too deep into that in this podcast, um, but a lot of people just think either baby is breech, so bum is down, or baby is head down. And there's actually a lot more to it. Um, no one can guarantee the position your baby is going to be in when you go into labor, and also baby can change their position as they're going into labor. But there may be some techniques, so even things like, you know, prenatal yoga, um, awareness of, you know, changing postures throughout the day, things like spinning babies, um, who has different techniques that may help. So if it's something that you want to dive more into, that is something I, I talk about with clients, let them know the different options. Um, and also spinning babies can be a great, uh, a great resource to check in on that as well. And then also your partner. So if you have someone supporting you at your birth, whether it's your partner, doula, could be both, um, you know, what are strategies that they can do? So I talked about, you know, whether it's labor positions or hands-on positions like the double hip squeeze or sacral pressure, techniques for them to learn, which will increase their confidence going into labor, but also that will help increase your confidence because, you know, they have some tools to support you. Um, and lastly, with this, listen to a variety of birth stories. So again, you may only hear one type of birth story in your pregnancy. 
And I find what helps the most is here a variety. Again, if you feel like that's something might, that might be something that would help you, I do find it often does. Most people only hear one type of birth story. Um, and, you know, hearing different types, hearing uh, different people's experiences, you know, positive, negative, neutral, uh, people who've had epidurals, non-epidurals, people who've had a cesarean birth, it may help you feel, again, a little bit more prepared with all the different ways birth could go. And then as you get closer to birth, you may choose to more so hone in on certain type of birth stories to kind of zone you in for birth. But earlier on, potentially hearing a variety may help you feel more prepared. Um, what do you find, Jess? Do you find within your program, do people share their birth stories? So, you know, people who are pregnant kind of hear different types? Mm -hmm. Yeah, they do. I think, yeah, most people do. And everyone loves them. Most people love them. I love reading about, hearing about birth stories. And I think that that was the one thing that was really helpful for me going into my first birth was that I had been working with pregnant and postpartum people for so many years before that, that I really felt like I had a handle on the different ways people had birthed, how they recovered, how they felt about those births. So also highly recommend just for, as you're saying, some awareness of what those scenarios could look like for you. Mm -hmm. So, yeah, so that kind of wraps up step number three. So those are all strategies to prepare your mind, body, including your pelvic floor for labor. Um, and again, those aren't necessarily talked about, I find, in many childbirth classes. So it's just really great to know there is more information that could actually help you prepare. Um, and then going into step number four, this I find isn't talked about like very much. Um, and that's supporting you and your pelvic floor during pushing. So during the pushing stage of birth, there are so many things around this that could help you. Um, so, you know, understanding the options when it comes to pushing. So the types of pushing, um, the timing of pushing. So when it comes to types of pushing, things of like knowing do you do you have to hold your breath for a long time and push um, in a certain way? So we call it like Valsalva pushing or kind of purple pushing because you're holding your breath for a long time. Um, are there other ways to so like open glottis pushing where you can actually get some reoxygen uptake, which could actually be great for you and for baby? Um, types of pushing or timing of pushing is next. So in terms of when you get to 10 centimeters dilated, do you have to push at that point? Could there be other options? Could you wait longer? You know, if medically everything is good. So something called laboring down um, to allow baby to get lower within the pelvis so that actually the active amount of time that you're pushing could actually be shorter, um, which could have benefits for you. Different pushing positions. So this also, usually again, if all you've seen is like movies and tv shows of people pushing everyone kind of pushes in the same position on your back or with the back of the bed a bit elevated um and to know there's actually a variety of positions for pushing and different positions your body may want to be in and this includes with an epidural i think a lot of people are surprised to hear that and there are options and again it depends on how many people are there supporting you um, I know some people with having epidural have been able to give birth in a squatting position or hands and knees. 
it's really going to depend on the feeling that you have um, within your body and you won't know how the epidural takes until you're in it um, and the support around you because the the concern is that people they want to make sure that you're supported um, because you may lack sensation in your lower body but a position that I'll go through a lot with my clients and in the course that typically should be an option if um, if you have the support to give birth on your back, you'll have the support to give birth on your side. Um, you can even use the peanut ball if that's accessible or have someone else. So whether it's your partner or a doula or a nurse or a midwife um, holding your top leg. Um, and there can be a lot of benefits, including with an epidural and even some research to show that it could decrease the risk of tearing with an epidural. Um, so lots of different positions with an epidural or without that a lot of people just don't know about even the position of your legs. So um, externally rotated. So as we kind of do knees uh, or feet like wider than hips um, versus internal rotation. So with the knees closer together and the ankles out, those positions can actually make a bit of a difference in how much space is at the pelvic outlet or where baby is coming out um, at the bottom of your pelvis. So some parallel position or a bit of internal rotation could actually give you more space, which usually isn't talked about. Um, and also things like, this was really important to me when I made this course and when I talked to clients is having awareness ahead of time about tearing, episiotomies, you know, what if interventions come into play, forceps, vacuum, what if a cesarean birth is recommended? Having some awareness about these, why they may be recommended, um, potentially questions to ask even before you go into labor so you have an idea of why and when they might be recommended um, at potential effects um, on your pelvic floor things like that that I just think yeah are just not talked about um, in general but in other courses as well and it was important to me to again educate people because there are times these are recommended for reasons um, for good reasons. So it's not something to be, you know, of like never have forceps, never have vacuum. There will be times those will be recommended for a reason. Um, but again, no question, no questions to ask your care provider, even in your prenatal appointments. Um, so you have more awareness of this and things like, you know, informed consent. So how to ask questions or how questions should technically be asked to you. Um, during labor so that you get options, so that you know the benefits, the risks, the alternatives. You know, what are the options in this situation? If it's not an emergency, there is time to talk about this. But again, people don't know they actually can ask um, questions. Um, and again, kind of that idea of birth preferences versus birth plans. We've done an episode on this before. I talk about it as birth preferences. Um, so this idea of like, what would you prefer in your birth and depending medically how things are, you know, what, what would be your preferences and it, with my clients and in the course, I have like a one page template. I know care providers very much appreciate this because if you walk in with a five page birth plan, they're <laughs> not necessarily a going to be able to read all that and B be able to kind of, um, you know, that might not all be able to happen. So I love a one page because, and this is actually, I, I had one with my first birth and then I also narrowed it down again for my second birth to make it even shorter. And 
care providers really like it. And it also, I find, helps you as the per pregnant person be able to really hone in on what is truly important to you, really make it specific so that you can go through with your partner and again, your care provider before birth. And you can also bring a copy in to whoever is going to be your staff during your birth. Um, and what do you find, Jess? Do you find that your clients often, you know, talk about birth plans or preferences? Yeah, they definitely do. And we see a wide variety of what this might look like for people. So for some people like me for my second birth, the preference was a scheduled C-section. For a lot of people, it's not going to look like that. For some, it does. For others, the preference is that they want an epidural as soon as they might be able to have one at the hospital. And for others, they want home birth or they want to birth in a birth center with midwives. So what I think is so useful is honoring the space for all of that. And what I always go back to is my first birthing experience where those things that I wanted, they didn't feel like preferences. They felt like a plan. They felt like a had to, must, absolutely need to happen. And when you're talking about preparing your mind to birth for birth, I just keep thinking about how I feel like in some ways I wasn't able to fully let go or surrender because I was so uh, like hyper aware of things wanting to go in a particular way. And I don't think there was even much chance for my body to actually get into it. Because I was just so like my nervous system was probably so fired up. No, thank you for sharing that. I think it helps people, you know, hear the different ways that you might be preparing or planning going into birth. And I think that's where like the preferences, I also look at it is I will often, I recommend people start doing this earlier in pregnancy. Often it's not recommended until you're like 36 weeks pregnant and then you get asked like, do you have any questions about labor? Like, what would you prefer? And like, it doesn't give you much time to learn about options or what your preferences might even be. So it really isn't too early to start looking into this and start just, you know, making some notes or, you know, jotting down ideas of like, oh, well, my friend had this experience and she had an epidural or didn't have an epidural. Like, okay, that sounds like something maybe, maybe I would want, maybe I should ask my care provider about this. So it's just going to help you also ask questions and dive a bit deeper. And I think it's really great that you brought up about someone's preference in regard to an epidural. And there is that on the, the birth preference template I use. I talk about like pain meds. And that is really important to learn about as well as all the different pain medication options. So yes, learning all the non-medicated options of how to cope and manage labor but also the different pain medication options. And so I have in there, it's kind of a, I have you rate it out of 10. So like 10 being like, yeah, sign me up for the epidural as soon as I walk in the door. One being like, don't mention pain to me. I don't like, don't ask me about pain medication. I'll let you know if I want it. And I give clients and in the course, you know, different ways to structure that, like whether it's asking you know, not until you mention a specific word, or maybe you ask for an epidural three times. And okay, if you ask for it three times, then yes, I'm serious about it versus maybe the first time it's not actually what I want. So it's just really going to help you figure out maybe what you want or 
potentially what you may want um, as preferences. So again, lots you can learn about pushing that just is not talked about and that your partner could learn as well so they can actually support you. Um, and then that brings us to step number five. So this is preparing for postpartum during pregnancy. And we've done some podcasts specifically about this. But basically this idea of a lot of times when I see clients postpartum um, who didn't see me in pregnancy or didn't see any other pelvic physio in pregnancy, and they're like, ah, oh, I wish I knew about this before. So this is really why I wanted it in my course, because people can go through this and I do it with my clients as well. We actually go through a ton of postpartum education information. We go through questions even before they give birth. And then we're going to revisit it again after their birth experience, because yes, things may change, but having knowledge ahead of like preparing for postpartum support. So whether it's physical support, mental, um, emotional support, what supports are in your community. And yes, right now with COVID, that might look a little bit different, but there still can be various ways of getting support. Um, looking into postpartum recovery items ahead of time. We just did one about postpartum abdominal supports. So that would be one, but also other supports after cesarean birth or a vaginal birth in terms of helping you heal. So different healing items you could have actually on hand ahead of time. And Jess, I know you had some really good ones for after a cesarean birth. Um, and you mentioned too about if someone was planning a cesarean birth, you always highly recommended after your first is getting a hospital bed, which I thought was really smart. Um, yes. If you can rent a hospital bed. Yes. I feel like that's not a thing that people would be told in many other circles, but the most irritating part of C-section recovery for me the first time was trying to rest, trying to sleep, especially at night and being up multiple times throughout the night for breastfeeding baby, for feeding baby, however you might be doing so. It's just so difficult those first few days, couple of weeks after C-section to move with much ease and especially going from a supine or position on your back to seated. It just requires a lot of physical exertion and so having the hospital bed the second time around was a total game changer for me physically. But then I really think how it impacted my mental health was, yeah, noticeably impactful. So that's the thing, right? Things, you know, that you may not know about, whether it's a vaginal birth or a cesarean birth, um, that can make a big difference. And even with that, like having an unplanned cesarean, you won't necessarily be able to plan if if renting a hospital bed is accessible to you. But even knowing of, okay, it's probably gonna be a lot harder to get in and out of bed. Are there ways I could you know, have more physical support um, or ways to have support to help with that? So again, things to know before birth can make a big difference. And then also this kind of ties back to in step number one is you know postpartum pelvic floor um, symptoms or different type of pain that you might um, potentially experience postpartum and just to be aware of them and what you could actually do to help support yourself. Um, and then also, you know, understanding about rest and rehab and retraining, not just your pelvic floor and core, but your whole body postpartum and what that could look like, especially during those first six weeks. Um, 
that it's not about do nothing for six weeks, go for your six week appointment, get the green light and then jump back into doing burpees and running and CrossFit. Um, there's so much in between and so much beyond that six weeks that just can make such a difference in how you feel with your recovery. Plus all the prep you did during pregnancy, I find often does make a difference in how you feel with your recovery, but even knowing how to navigate it. Um, and then again, that idea of if you can see a pelvic physio um, postpartum, they'll be able to give you individual guidance. Um, and that's why I love like within the course, giving all this information. Um, and then also you could seek someone out individually to get specific information about your pelvic floor. So yeah, anything else you would add to um, preparing for postpartum, Jess? Mm, it's all so, so good. I just want you to know that if I was ever going to be pregnant again, I would do your course and that's not going to happen. So I'll just continue to recommend it to all of the pregnant people because it's so, so good. It's a real game changer for everyone who has gone through it, who I've spoke to. Thanks, Jess. Yeah, I, I'm so glad. Um, this was a lot of, you know, planning to make and outlining and making it in a way that I felt you know, I had seen it work for clients. I'd seen it work for myself. So being being able to create something for the general public, whether you could see public because you were not to really, you know, have it in a specific um, order or kind of method to be able to really support you, your pelvic floor, your body, you know, preparing your mind during pregnancy, but birth and also postpartum recovery. So if you want to dive deeper into these five steps, then come join me and many other expecting moms in the Bump to Birth course. And so we'll link that um, in the course notes, but you can also go to bumptobirthcourse.com. So just to go over those five steps, again, understand your pelvic floor and core in pregnancy is number one. Number two, learn to connect to your pelvic floor and core in pregnancy bring these strategies into various types of exercise beyond traditional kegels step number three strategies to prepare you your mind and body including your pelvic floor for labor step number four supporting you and your pelvic floor during pushing and step number five preparing for postpartum during pregnancy we hope you enjoyed listening to this episode of the To Birth and Beyond podcast. You can find any links or resources we discussed in the show notes at tobirthandbeyond.com. And if you enjoyed today's show, we would love for you to leave us a review on iTunes and subscribe to the To Birth and Beyond podcast in iTunes or Stitcher. 